Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Sobriety Unleashed podcast with me, Simon. And me, Ellen. And today we are talking about dealing with difficult people in sobriety, which (laughs) I love this subject because actually it's not just in sobriety, is it? It's in life that you come across difficult people every day and dealing with them can be a massive trigger in people with people, definitely in early sobriety and just in life in general, isn't it? As you carry on in your sobriety journey. Yeah, totally. And often those difficult people can be the closest people to us. It's not, we're not generally talking about random strangers. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can run into people that can be difficult, but really often it's, it's the people we love and really care about. And I think often that's why they bring up some strong feelings within us. Yeah, absolutely. Mums, partners, brothers and sisters, um, closest friends, friends that you've been friends with a long time. And especially if you take a break from drinking and you're starting to see that there's not much depth to the relationship, but you feel like an obligation to them because you've been friends for such a long time. But when you stand back and look and realize, actually, they're quite draining and that relationship's quite toxic. How do we deal with that? Yeah, it's, and it is a big challenge. And I think one of the first things, I mean, you said draining there is to think about, are these people radiators or drains? Are they radiating that positive energy and treating me with loving kindness? Or, are, or do I feel drained every time I come away from a meeting with them? And I think that's probably one of the first things to look at to really establish whether what, what the health of the relationship is, essentially, whether this person is causing emotional triggers, upset and making you making you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing an awareness to how you feel when you leave the room or you leave their house. It's quite difficult, though, isn't it? When they are really close and we've got this societal pressure on us that we should have cr- close relationships with parents or with siblings or best friends. How do we deal with that when it's so they're so close? Yeah. And we're also always being told to speak our truth and you know, be vulnerable, <laughs> share yeah. all of this sort of thing. And actually, one of the first things that came to mind when I knew we were talking about this topic, because it, it's a topic that's close to my heart. I had a lot of experience with this. There were lots of uncomfortable relationships, people to navigate my way through. Yeah. Um, it was actually realizing that and I think it was Kate who what used to be half of love sober who shared it that the the traffic light system of just thinking ahead of time do does this person have a red green or amber light do I want to share everything with them is it safe to share everything or should I back off a bit should I not tell them anything and I know we've talked about it before in the context of social events but I think it equally applies when we recognize that somebody is a is a difficult person yeah absolutely I have really started using this system of recognizing and being very aware of who is a safe space a safe space to me is somebody that I can completely be myself with I can rant and rave when I need to and who's not going to judge me for that who's not going to try and fix me who's not going to try and solve my problem but instead is just going to listen to me and then help me move through it and on we go Uh, A non-safe space is somebody who's going to try and fix me, who's going to judge me, uh, all those kind of things. So having a look and seeing, right, who's red, who's amber and who is green. And I'm much more aware of that, especially the the further I get from alcohol, the more aware I I am about it. And and what you the problem is parents and siblings and close family members, they often interfere 
through love and they yeah. might talk about people behind their back they might send messages between each other which actually are intended they're meant in the sort of best possible way but it can be perceived as not that it can be perceived as gossip or you know just they're actually maybe they're trying to help but it just doesn't kind of come across like that and I think the the key here is to first of all understand that almost always while it might not seem like it 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 is generally driven from a place of love and wanting to care although it often doesn't feel like it or look like it and I learned this with my mum and then I think the second thing is to really notice when you're getting pulled in to drama because sometimes it is gossip sometimes it it isn't worth your energy it isn't worth getting sucked into it and I think we touched on it before but just being aware of the drama triangle which is when you so when when we get sucked into drama we generally adopt one of three kind of default positions which is the victim the rescuer or the persecutor and I like to think of drama like a a merry-go-round in a kid's park, but a triangular-shaped one. And if I notice that someone's trying to pull me into drama, I know that I need to go in the opposite direction. The Mm -hmm. worst thing I can do is get onto that merry-go-round because once you're involved in the drama people switch positions the persecutor moves to the victim the the victim becomes the rescuer it all chops and changes and it's really hard to get out of it it ends up just kind of expanding and getting worse so having an understanding of the drama triangle noticing when you're getting pulled into it and being strong enough to walk away from it I think is important and perhaps that partly comes down to setting boundaries learning to speak your truth uh, and sort of just building a bit of strength about knowing when it feels right to to actually walk away instead of pouring fuel on the drama fire. Yeah, I love that. And quite often the people that I work with and myself, we come from a place, place of people pleasing. So we always seem to be the rescuer going into a drama. And it's very difficult when people see you as that role as well. But then as you said, you get pulled into it and get turned and flipped from role to role to role. So it's very very much easier to start seeing, okay, these people thrive on it. Some people thrive on drama, don't they? And actually I really don't. So setting boundaries is a really important one with me. But how do we do that when it's someone like mums, dads, siblings? That's so, so difficult. It is really challenging. I'll come to it in a sec. I just wanted to say, we've had a few comments and I think, was it in your group, Helen, that um, a couple of people were concerned about us reading names out because we do the podcast live on YouTube and obviously it's there for the world to see and hear. Absolutely. And the people in our groups, we're like a kind of sisterhood. There's a real family feeling to it. So we feel like we're part of lives. We know everybody. But yeah, going forward on the podcast, we're not going to be mentioning any names, are we? So it's a completely safe space for people to ask questions and know that their name is not going to get um, read out. Yeah. And also, if you post a question, so going forward, if you post a question or a comment while it's live um, and we read it out, first of all, we won't say your name. Uh, and secondly, because it's live, the comments don't then copy over to the video that then goes onto YouTube. So they're, they're deleted after the live. They can only be seen during it. Um, 
we might slip up and accidentally read a name out. We, we're going to be doing our absolute We're going to try our best to set that boundary. Like you, you guys have spoken to us and kind of laid that boundary down, down and we've heard you and we want to kind of move forward, but make sure it's such an important part of the podcast, isn't it? The interaction with people. We absolutely love that part of it. I, and I think it's something that makes the podcast quite unique is the fact we do it each week in front of a live audience. People can ask comments. They can almost dictate the direction of the conversation. Yeah. And it feels more than just two people talking. It Absolutely. feels like a whole group and it's wonderful. Yeah. So I would hate to lose that. Try and behave. <laughs> yeah, I will, I will be doing my absolute best. I'm going to read a few out in a minute to practice okay. not saying the names. Um, we were just talking about um, how you start to set boundaries with family, friends, close people around yeah. you. For me, I started small and I my mother would come to my house and she would be quite critical of things. She would, you know, a little stain on the kitchen surface. She might make a kind of negative comment or a passive aggressive comment. Mm. And I realized how much it was causing me emotional upset. And I knew that there were more boundaries to be set, but I, I started small and I even started practicing them with people who weren't my parents. And I kind of formulated a little sentence which which really helped me. And I've shared this with quite a few people. And it was just about learning to say how I feel and to set the boundary. Mm -hmm. And it was quite simply, when you do insert the behavior. So when you criticize the stain on my kitchen surface, it makes me feel. And it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. Like she didn't have any faith in me. So when you when you do X, it makes me feel why yeah and I would rather you and that's where you set the boundary and yeah you know, the first thing that comes to mind is keep your comments to yourself but actually that's quite <laughs> confrontational so it is so it, it wouldn't be that so it it would be something else you know I, I, I would I would rather you you know you didn't make those comments or something like that you can think about how you say it yeah. but you know or, or I'd rather you didn't make me feel that way but you're 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 setting the boundary and I started it with by doing that with people who weren't as close to me as my mother. And then when I started doing it with my mum, I did it on small things. I did it. I think the first one was over a tea towel that had a stain on it. And I just did it with that. But then going forward, I really be, became able to take control of the relationship and dictate the way, the way that I wanted it to look. That's okay. absolutely, that's fantastic. I love that. The thing um, that I used to suffer from was setting boundaries when I was angry, like in the moment, and then actually it would break a relationship rather than like help a relationship. And remember boundaries are set to, as a life jacket for relationships. They're supposed to help it move forward in a healthy way. So definitely some space. I've really noticed with friendships more than anything, there are certain people you talked about who drain you rather than like give you good energy I've noticed those relationships and I've really set boundaries especially with the phone like people expecting you to be available 24 hours on the phone and there's certain friends that were doing that um wanting me to be available and straight into their problems and that would drain me that if I was in early sobriety that definitely would have been a trigger because I felt overwhelmed with their problems rather than mine um so setting boundaries with that saying to people do you know what? It's not a good um, time for you to offload on me right now. Can I get back to you when it's good for me? And putting me first, because nobody else is going to put you first, are they? Yeah, exactly. I, I love that as well. You know, like now's not a good time or I, I'm not in a place where I can 
take on your problems at this moment yeah. in time or whatever. And you're right. You know, smartphones, as wonderful as they are, they allow drama to literally land in the palm of our hand yeah. whenever it wants and if we become a slave to our smartphones and just respond to the messages without thinking about it we just you could I think that's a big way you can get sucked into drama actually it really is it's why I put off with my kids um only my eldest has a phone but that space when you come home from school was such an important space an important boundary a literally the space an environmental thing um that you need that headspace so that you can process things and think about it rationally before you respond they are good but they're, they're some real dangers with them but yet trying to set boundaries when you're calm coming away from a situation and thinking i didn't like how that happened so actually how do i want that to play out next time um but have having an awareness is the first thing isn't it what is the reality of this relationship is it doing me any good if do I want to save the relationship? And if I do, how can I sit down and have a conversation when I'm calm, not when I'm in a place of anger? Totally. And and I actually, I feel like I'm quite experienced on this topic. So <laughs> as time went forward and I did a lot of therapy work and I was moving further into my sober lifestyle, I recognised that my mother was a massive trigger for a mm. lot of my emotional issues and upset. and. I decided eventually I needed a break from the relationship. I, mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to end the relationship. I just needed a break from it for a period of time while I kind of sorted myself out and got some headspace. And I was eventually able to articulate that to her. And I sat her down and said, look, I, the way you parented me, I feel, has, wasn't perhaps as good as it could have been. I understand the reasons why, and I've got yeah. empathy for you, but it's caused me a lot of problems in adulthood, which I'm working through at the moment. And I, I had that conversation and said, I, I want to have a short break from the relationship for a few months. And it really upset <coughs> me. And I felt a lot of guilt about it. And actually, I still carry some guilt about it, although we've talked about it since. But I was I became able to do that. And, to, uh, and actually, that was it needed that the relationship needed that. So we had to kind of come further apart to come closer together absolutely and it worked and we both acknowledge it now and we can both talk about things now that we would never have discussed in the past and actually you just mentioned something there of understanding why she parented in a way and having compassion for somebody that um, you're dealing with is really important it, yeah. it doesn't excuse behaviors and you still need to address them however realizing that people are human and they they come from a place of experiences behaviors that they've learned and and not, don't necessarily know any different and I think part of the problem is we often expect people to have the same perspective understanding yeah. intelligence as we have and this was a massive eye-opener for me so after after I'd had the break from the relationship with my mum I suggested that we went and did a few sessions of therapy together just to clear the air and just to get a better understanding of how we were both feeling and to have a safe space where we could share yeah. anything because I knew that I'd upset her and I, I really wanted her to understand it from my perspective too and vice versa and it was through that process of therapy now she's so she's 74 at the weekend it was and this was a couple of years ago through that process of therapy that I really realized how kind of naive she was to it all and yeah. it, a lot of the things I thought were malicious were just 
you know, she seemed like a little girl at times who had never had things explained to her by her parents and had gone through her entire life just not understanding much about emotions, feelings, and yeah. wasn't ever really fully equipped to be a parent. I had a lot of bad things happen to her as well. And it, that really helped me have a lot of empathy and understanding. And, you know, I'd recommend, I mean, not all parents are open to this. no. I, I, yeah, I, it is a generational thing as well. And I think um, British culture as well doesn't necessarily lend itself to it. However, I would as well. It's fantastic your mum actually agreed to that and go and they cleared the air like it did. And she was uh, so open. It was incredible. That's fantastic. And we often expect behave, certain behaviour of other people, don't we? And we're so disappointed when we don't get it. And that can be such a trigger for us. However, all we can deal with is our reaction to how they behave. So setting those boundaries is really important and learning, OK, how can I manage this? Because I'm not going to change them. All I can do is change my behaviour around it. Yeah. Well, you know, I love an I think it's called an acronym, isn't it? Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I love those. I've got one of these for, on. for how people often react when you set a boundary or when you call them out on their behaviour. And it sort of leads to the topic of conflict and whether you should avoid it or whether you should lean into it. So it's called Jade, J-A-D-E. Mm-hmm. And basically, they, they use, therapists use this for the norm the response that most parents have if you you know if you're doing therapy and you need to share with your parents and how they've made you feel when you were younger they often say your parents will jade you which is justify argue defend possibly deny defend or deny uh, and make excuses uh, and actually even my mum when I talked to her she did take a lot of ownership uh, and I think she was quite shocked when I first shared my feelings with her. Yeah. But she sort of accepted it. And then a day or two later, she started to, the jade stuff started to come up. And I think we see that with friends and family and all the rest of it, colleagues, when we perhaps set boundaries or when we start letting them know that they're a difficult person. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so difficult with parents and siblings, especially parents as parents get older, isn't it? Because we do become the caretakers, which, of course, it's not our responsibility as such, although it is. And I was talking about this. My mum's lived with us for 20 years and sometimes that can cause problems. Um, However, going back to my core values, I have so much empathy for what my mum's gone through. She's been widowed twice and all sorts of things gone on. And my core value is that I want to look after my mum. So yes, I'm kind of in that rescuer role because I I like that, but I wouldn't have it any other way, I don't think. However, setting boundaries, I find it so difficult to be vulnerable with my mum. I'm so much more vulnerable with the people on my group than I am with my mum. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's where we recognise areas where we can grow and we can develop. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, with the drama triangle, if if anyone looks online, just search for it on Google, there's an opposite to each of them. So, for example, a rescuer. So the rescuer is kind of the toxic element of the drama triangle because you're constantly trying to solve other people's problems and fix them when they don't always need fixing. Whereas the rescuer becomes the coach, which is what you are. You're a coach. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I think I channeled that in a positive way now. Yeah, exactly. So that. It, with some slight adjustments you can actually shift 
ironically the one person that I have set a real boundary and she's somebody that really does drain me because there is never hi how are you doing it is straight into her problems which normally it's okay over the last year or so do you know what someone not even checking in with how how are you doing it became very apparent that I really get nothing from the relationship. However, she was the first one who said to me, do you know what? You should think about going into coaching. I get so much more out of you than I do out of my therapist. And I was like, I don't even think that's really a thing. And then I, it was a light bulb moment for me. So that definitely, it's funny that you should say that. It's definitely channeled my, yeah, actually, that's something that I would love to do. Yeah. And you can turn all of these things that might sound a bit negative into a positive. Yeah, 100%. So which I think a lot of people do do. Let's read out a few comments without okay. saying anybody's names. Yeah. <laughs> so, good morning and hello to everyone who said that, although it's afternoon here in the UK. Yeah. Um, so somebody said, my husband has OCD. My sobriety is on pins and needles. I feel I'm in an endless struggle to stay sober. I'm usually a nervous wreck. What should I do? Hmm. I think by pins and needles, it means like on eggshells. On eggshells, which I know all too too well, because uh, living with someone who has mental health issues, whether it's OCD, depression, um, borderline personality disorder, it definitely is feels like you're walking on eggshells all the time. Setting those boundaries is really important of actually you need to put you first and whatever that takes. Um, if it you're committed to the relationship working, then making sure that you're filling your own cup up before you're coming back and giving him support, doing things that you love. For me, it was always walking, yoga, connecting with friends in a safe space, and then coming back into the household. That's so, so important. Finding a group um, of support online, that was really helpful for me as well. And I think, yeah, just reading the comment, um, there's a bit of peeling back the layers of the onion to do around this as well because the first thing I that came up for me when I read the comment was I had I had more questions I wanted to know yeah my, my sobriety's on pins and needles I feel like I'm in an endless struggle to stay sober and I'm usually a nervous wreck what do I do well what exactly is making you a nervous wreck is it your husband's OCD is it cravings to drink and then I think so what I'm saying is I think digging a bit deeper into the root causes of the way you're feeling and it's great that you you're kind of identifying how you feel and actually you know are you in fact i say that are you are, do you know whether you feel angry stressed um you know you're obviously not calm but there's some there's some feelings coming up but trying to really identify the feelings and then think about peel the layers of the onion back like what's causing each of these and then what what do I need to do when I feel those feelings? If I'm feeling really angry because my husband's OCD is getting to me, what's my coping mechanism for that? Because yeah. I can tell you now, it's not alcohol. It's probably no. getting out on your own in nature, right? Yeah, absolutely. Alcohol is actually only going to amplify everything for you because uh, tomorrow morning, everything's still going to be there. Things are going to be the same and you've had no progress in the situation. There's no progress with self-care or no progress with the relationship. There's no progress with his kind of OCD actually being completely sober and being able to make sometimes progress doesn't feel like progress it feels like a step back but actually being sober being able to face it that is progress as hard and as uncomfortable as it may feel and I I also think I, I try not to sort of suggest this to everybody but I think sometimes when it feels like a real struggle it's better to just focus on doing a bit of sobriety work each day 
putting an X on a wall chart to say, I've done my work for today and making a streak that is not necessarily an alcohol free streak. It's a streak of, I, you know, I watched, I joined in with a podcast with Simon and Ellen today. I wrote in my journal today. I read a bit of a sober book today. I did a bit of work every day because it's like going to the gym every day. Eventually yeah. you can't help those muscles getting bigger and losing no. a bit of belly fat. Um, so there, there's something to be said for that as well. And I don't really sort of recommend that to people unless they're sort of continually going back to day one to sort of perhaps not focus on the end goal so much just bring it back well I know you talk about this as well don't yeah you? absolutely and I do I have so much empathy for that situation because walking on eggshells is just a horrible place to feel to be in when you are in your safe space it's so difficult when you can't you know be in your safe space and feel completely at ease and I've lived it I really so I do have so much empathy but it is possible to stay um, alcohol free and it will help with that situation yeah it totally will and somebody else whose name I'm not going to say because we're not reading out the names anymore said that this is hard actually I'm doing I'm doing my best (laughs) they said I think we have to just take a minute and use our sober toolkit s for stop O for observe, B for breathe, E for expand your awareness and R for respond mindfully. And this is something I've learned that's helped me so far. I'm coming up on two weeks of sobriety and just taking it, just taking a minute to breathe and do that process helps me considerably. So that's wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. I love that. S-O-B-E-R. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) Um, Somebody... Oh, someone else said, whose name I'm not going to read out. Thank you for making the chats anonymous. I'm all over them in past episodes, which is fine. But I know others don't want their name shared. I hope you get lots more interaction now. I can read this next person's name out because their name is no name. No name. Perfect. I mean, no name says. (laughs) I think we were going to have a tutorial of how to um, like log on with no name. So that's perfect. Somebody has managed managed it. Yeah, I don't actually know how you do that. So if anyone wants to share or post a comment around it, that'd be good. But that no name said, "What can you say to family who keep asking why you don't drink anymore?" I feel like a broken record saying it's just not for me. They still bring it up, and it makes me want to avoid them altogether. Yeah, we had um, we talked about this a little bit before we came onto the podcast, didn't we? Not only family members talking constantly about why you don't drink, but family members labeling you as an alcoholic if you don't drink. Oh, is it because you had a problem or so and so? We've talked about it and you've had a problem. It can yeah. be so triggering, can't it? I it think you really can. Yeah, having a conversation uh, and drawing a line under it because it feels like you're picking at an open wound all the time that it, it's um, being discussed. But Simon, how would you deal with it? Well, I, I find this sort of thing fascinating and I used to react badly. I, I would get into conflict. Yeah, you know, I'd be straight onto the drama triangle. Um, you know, I've told you already why I don't drink. Why do you keep bloody asking? You know, it would yeah. it would have just blown up into something and I probably would have ended up falling out. Whereas now, whenever I feel those un- uncomfortable feelings, so for you, no name, the, you're, this is making you feel a particular way. It's causing you frustration that they keep asking and maybe it's making you angry for some reason. And what I now try and do is when something brings up an uncomfortable feeling, instead of looking at the person who's repeatedly asking me the same question or judging me or whatever, 
I look inside because the reason it's triggering us is because there's something within me that has caused it to trigger me. Yeah. And generally it's because it's touching on something that's symbolic of a time in our past. It's reminded us of something from our past. So maybe there was a time in your life, perhaps as a child where you weren't heard and you had to keep repeating yourself. And this is pushing those same buttons, for example. I, I, and I think the more we, when we can link it to something from our past, it loses its power in the present. Yeah. And explaining to people that I feel like once you've identified that, say, that I feel like I'm not being heard here. This is why it is. This is how it is. And this is how you can support me going forward. But I would please prefer that you don't keep on with the same conversation. Yeah. And exactly what you said, that's kind of the next step in it. And you, you can actually make it quite interesting. So let, let's say, for example, it was a sibling who kept repeating themselves. You could say, do you know what? I, I've been feeling really triggered with you keep asking me that question. You can say it really calmly. Yeah. I've been feeling really triggered with you keep asking me that. So I kind of I looked inward and thought about my past and I realized that when I was six there was a teacher at my school who never listened to me and it made me cry and it's touching the same thing when you do that so you know and you'd probably end up both kind of laughing about it and it'd be quite a nice conversation so I think getting the understanding then almost perhaps if possible using that as a as a catalyst for us for a really vulnerable grown-up conversation absolutely siblings are something special I feel because siblings like to find that nerve and they like to keep on prodding it not many other relationships in life are the same as those sibling relationships so that's quite an interesting one knowing how to deal with it whether actually there's a healthy thing whether you need some distance for a little while and doing what you did with your mum of like actually this isn't good for me but being able to laugh about it is brilliant the ones that I find really difficult, Simon, are the passive aggressive people dealing with them because I'm very much I say as I mean, I mean, as I say, and I um, I find it so difficult when you walk away from people and you feel like I don't quite know what they meant by that comment. Now, Melissa Urban, my hero, has been doing loads of work around this and her newsletter was on it this on about it this week. Um, passive aggressive, stopping somebody in their tracks and saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you meant by that. Can you explain yourself a bit better? Because it's made me feel a certain way. And actually taking the wind out of people's sails, that's a really good thing. Difficult to do sometimes, um, especially if people are turning up with a smile, saying it with a smile, but it's making you feel a certain way. Just stop and like, yeah. dig a bit deeper with that comment. And I think it, just, it is one of those things. You just need to practice it a little bit. Yeah. So kind of almost... So, not long after I quit, I, a, a bit like you, I made a vow to become radically honest and to become a person who has integrity. In other words, mm -hmm. if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. I drop the ball from time to time you know, occasionally, as you'll know if I fail to reply to one of your emails. But most of the time, I'm, I'm on it. And I, I, I think that's a big reason why it can push our buttons when other people sort of act outside of our own values. Uh, and... Yeah, you're you're absolutely right around the way to that you shared there to approach it and to to deal with it. So I, but I think honouring your own values is so much import, more important than trying to control the values of other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and and again, this speaks. This also speaks to that point of looking at your own triggers. What's triggered you? Where's it come from? Why is it upsetting you? And 
the taking so i was going to say as well about taking the wind out of their sails i think with that practicing on you know if you get a, like say someone phones you up and it's a sales call from a telecoms company that's mm-hmm. the perfect place where you can sort of practice without being rude to people yeah you can sort of think to yourself right i'm gonna i'm gonna have a go at saying no i'm yeah. gonna have a go at not people pleasing here and yeah. you can just build on it gradually and that was what i did i remember thinking i'm gonna i'm gonna become radically honest i'm gonna speak my truth from now on and the next day the phone rang and it was a sales call and i said i'm just gonna stop you there i'm gonna say no thank you and it felt so liberating i love so, that absolutely love it. yeah <laughs> yeah fantastic <laughs> any so, more yeah. comments um yeah there's a few more from people whose names i will not read out um, thank you so much. Great food for thought and more inner work is always called for. I've not taken enough time for myself and I appreciate both of your support. Um, and then someone else saying that, yeah, that, so there we go. The person who shared about it sounding like a broken record and con- having to keep on explaining said that question is a trigger for me. It almost feels like an attempt to sabotage my sobriety, which is tough. Yeah. And people, do it scares people when you become sober so there may be an element of that that they don't completely support you in it which is really difficult especially even after two or three years when people are not supporting you in it um however staying true to you and staying like focused on your own journey and setting those boundaries looking at doing the work looking at why they trigger you um it is so important and coming back to siblings, when you were talking about siblings, there was something that came to mind, which I think can, I'm an only child, okay. but by the sounds of it, I think I've got a good deal with that. But... <laughs> I love my siblings, or, or <laughs> no, one of them anyway, um, but they are something special. And one of the things I discovered through therapy work and, and learning about therapy was that sibling especially where there's three or more siblings there can be this dynamic that forms and it's so interesting because I always ask people I work with whether they can relate to this dynamic mm-hmm. and where they think they are in the dynamic go on hit me with it I'm sure we've had this conversation yeah, before but I'll be interested had, to know we've yeah. not had it on the podcast no uh, but what's really interesting is how what happens generally is they then go away having said well this is where I think I am in that dynamic and they talk to their siblings and their siblings think something completely different and it's really interesting so the dynamic is this generally there's a golden child mm-hmm. there's also a black sheep Mm-hmm. who's the one who gets blamed for everything so the golden child can do no wrong yeah the black sheep does everything wrong and gets blamed for everything and then there's generally a forgotten child who's the one in the middle who you know but they sort of just get overlooked or feel like they get overlooked yeah um, I reckon there's going to be a few comments now from people saying I'm the golden child or I'm the forgotten <laughs> one or the black sheep well the funny thing is that now we did have this conversation but not on the podcast and I came home so I've got three children I came home we sat at the dinner table and I was saying like I talked to Simon it's really funny because I would definitely my brother Chris he is most definitely the golden child without a doubt he can do no wrong it doesn't matter what he does um the other two roles are kind of up for play but it would be interesting to see because my mum lives with us he'd probably say I was the golden child uh, but we're sat and we're talking in between and my youngest was he was like I'm definitely the golden child my oldest was like well I'm the one that I'm the black sheep I get um, blamed for everything and my middle child just sat there cutting her dinner and she just looked at me and she went 
Well, I'm definitely the forgotten one. <laughs> so, like they all went into their roles quite nicely. Yeah, and it, it's unbelievable, though. And, and so you hit the nail on the head there. I love that you'd had that conversation, by the way. But you hit the nail on the head there with you thought your brother was the golden child and he mm-hmm. thought you were. Yeah, absolutely. And it creates conflict. In fact, yeah. I've had well, probably 15 years of really no contact with that brother. And yet I'm so close with my other brother. Um, And it's a shame. It's awful. But I realized back then that that relationship was causing me so much pain. It really upset me um, that there was that I kept on chasing after it. And in the end, I was like, do you know what? The best thing for me is just to put an end to it and be, okay, this does me no good and I need to move forward um, and concentrate on me and my immediate family, which are me and the kids. Yeah. Do you think you'll go back to it one day? I hope so. I'm like always an open book and I always kind of let them know that. But uh, it, yeah, years ago, I would say yes, definitely. But now I'm not so sure. Yeah, siblings can be challenging, definitely. Yeah, and it wasn't until actually my other brother was visiting and we have a really close relationship and somebody said to me, God, there's nothing like that kind of sibling rivalry. And I hadn't even realised we slipped back into that role of maybe a, a nine, a, I don't know, 15-year-old, there's a few years between us, but we slipped back into that role. I speak to him in a way that I would never, ever speak to anybody else and vice versa. But it's funny. It's a lovely uh, relationship. Yeah, and I think equally, though, it can be triggering when you've got that dynamic and you think they're the golden child they can do no wrong and often I I use the word think I don't actually think we consciously think it it's just in our subconscious that we feel that there's a level of unfairness or or whatever and injustice that is something that really really triggers me and definitely that's being around my other brother I feel like it's unfair how come he can do x y and z and is never accountable that's how it always used to feel um and so like actually all I can control is me and stay true to my core values and make sure that I'm happy um and can't expect anything else from him yeah. And this all comes down to one thing, which is communication, communicating mm-hmm. with your brother, communicating with your mum, your parents, you know, just getting it all out there. Um, somebody said, see, I've done it again. I've not read the name out. I'm so proud. They said, oh, my God, Simon is making me laugh so much in this episode because <laughs> I'm having so much trouble with all the names. Um, no name who actually is called no name said I was the scapegoat after I stopped drinking I no longer allowed myself to be victimized the family dynamic shifted not sure where or if I even fit in anymore it's difficult yeah it is difficult and I think often as hard as it sounds sometimes and I I would never just advise somebody to do this on the back of one comment, but it might be that actually some breathing space is -hmm. what you need, some time to reflect, some time to do some more work on yourself until you feel ready to go back to the relationship on your terms. And I think that's what it's all about. We're often in relationships that are on other people's terms, especially family ones. Yeah, family members, it can feel so wrong and there's so much societal pressure to keep those relationships going. But sometimes you have to be prepared to walk away even, yeah, as you say, not necessarily permanently, but just to give yourself space to to come back on your own terms and really do what's right for you, not what's right for everybody else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could do a whole another topic on families, but there's just to sort of wrap up with there's somebody that I know and uh, he's, he's like a multi millionaire and he's got a big family 
and the whole family live in houses that he's bought for them and they drive cars that he's bought for them. They work within his business. And when he falls out with one of them, he takes everything off of them. He, he controls through the money that he's got over, you know, that he's built up over the years. Yeah. And it's an incredible dynamic to sort of watch from the outside, how he controls the family, how people fear him because they want this inheritance when he passes away. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really just makes me think about it. And, and I think that's the thing is actually starting to just sort of take a bit more of a top down look at your life, yeah. whether you're doing things out of fear, obligation or guilt. There's another yeah. one, fog, fear, yeah. obligation, guilt. <laughs> you love them acronyms. <laughs> yeah. Are you doing things for those reasons? Because probably they don't align with your values. No. And just remember, when you're dealing with people, you are not a therapist. You are not there to fix other people and for them to drain you like that. You are there as an equal in a relationship. So make sure that you're getting something out of it that they fill you up just as much as you fill them up. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, yeah, I think that's a, a great way to wrap up with that positive affirmation. Yeah. So we'll see you all next week and we won't be naming names again. <laughs> but next week we have got special guest Mandy Manners, who is another sobriety coach who actually came and stayed with me on the weekend who lives here in France. And you know Mandy, don't you, Simon? Um, they've got their new book out. So Mandy will be talking a little bit about her journey and telling us all about her new book. Oh, I love Mandy. So she used to be part of Love Sober. She's got a new book coming out. And every time I see Mandy, we won't be able to do it on Zoom, but whenever I see her face to face at like sober events, she always gives me the biggest hug. And I, I don't, she just makes me feel safe and comfortable. Oh, I know. Talking of safe spaces, like literally the universe will send you your people when you give up drinking. And Mandy was one of them. We're both exactly the same age. She did point out she's three months younger than me, but um, yeah, same age kids more or less the same age and just you know when you meet somebody and it feels like you've been friends forever complete safe space and is just such a beautiful human being yeah it really is I often I, I sometimes think I'm going completely off topic I know we're wrapping up <laughs> but I often think about I wonder what would have happened if I'd met some of these people when we were all drinking what that would it would have been horrifically messy and I think you know, these wonderful friendships that are going to be lasting and true connections they probably just would have been superficial and rubbish they would have and I love it we all come from this real kind of healing space it is so different for somebody to kind of talk through when you meet them for the first time actually as a person this is what I need from a friendship and I can't deal with this and kind of laying out those boundaries almost but in a really like just natural completely fantastic way of yeah I, I can't deal with this but I can deal with this um and yeah I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Mandy's got some really good insights and often it comes at things from a different perspective. So yeah, definitely join us next week at the same yeah. time. There's one last question um, that someone said, how do we find Ellen online? Oh, um, sobrietysisterhood.com or um, uh, Instagram sobriety sisterhood. There you go. Yeah. So give her a follow. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, see you all ne- so, yeah we'll see you all next week. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.